and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, saying, Come and see. Thunder Radio with Christian J. Pento. Okay, praise the Lord, you guys, and welcome. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we are going to talk about this uh, coming new year, 2023. This is our New Year's Eve program. We are recording it New Year's Eve, and it may be post, posted later this evening. It might be posted tomorrow. We'll see what happens. But it is, uh, we are going to say Happy New Year. On the one hand, on the other hand, we're going to look forward to things that are happening, things that we need to keep our eyes on as we come into 2023. Uh, we still have Joe Biden. In the White House, even though many of us do not believe he is a lawfully elected president of the United States, nevertheless, he is still there. And the globalist agenda continues to move forward in our country, along with many other parts of the world. It's at this point, it, it cannot be said that it's just one country or even just a collection of other countries that are being affected as I said to my daughters, when all of the stuff was going on with COVID and they were doing lockdowns and people were being made to wear masks and they were changing things in the school system and so on, I said, girls, just remember at this point, there is no place else on earth that you can go to get away from this. And uh, where we, we are here in Tennessee, we were in probably one of the best places in the country uh, where, where the boundaries that they were implementing were much more moderate and relaxed. But it was still, you know, there, there was that Orwellian overtone to it all that, that we all remember. And, of course, it appears that they're going to try and bring that back. We'll see what happens, and we're going to be talking about that on the program today. But before we get to those issues, I wanted—I've been looking through the Scripture at— what sort of scriptures are there that, that we can talk about in terms of a new year or something new coming forth? And uh, there's actually a few scriptures on this, and I'm sure there's more than we're going to mention today. I wanted to point out three scriptures that I think are very powerful, very meaningful for us as believers in Jesus Christ. One, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's actually 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17, and also verse 18, uh, at least part of verse 18. Anyway, uh, but the whole idea of being a becoming a born-again Christian, a born-again believer in Christ. Uh, we are not just people who got cleaned up. We are new creatures, a new creation by the Spirit of God. So that is one reference to that which is new. Also, we have Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19, where God says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, as we walk into this new year as the new creatures in Christ, perhaps God will do a new thing. By which I mean, perhaps he may present a new avenue for those who fear him and those who love the gospel uh, for us to somehow or other overcome these obstacles that we're seeing in our country 
as our country goes down a path that seems to be darker and darker with each passing day. And of course, we know that in spite of whatever happens during our time, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. We know that God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus, the scripture says. And so I wanted to also include Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5, where, well, let's go back to verse 4, where verse 4 says, 21 verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Praise the Lord. So the Lord caused John to write these words down, to write that, yes, that time is coming, where God says he will make all things new. And yet, while we're waiting for that time when the Lord will make all things new, we have to endure the new world order. Uh, That's what we've got to deal with in the meantime, and that is what we are going to talk about on the program today. What is going on with this new world order, also called the Great Reset? For those of you who have have seen our film series, in fact, I I did a series of interviews not long ago. And I know that some of you have mentioned it. You've sent me emails. Uh, I did a series of interviews with Prophecy Watchers, with Mondo Gonzalez over there, and went to Oklahoma and spent a couple of days with those guys. Had a lot of fun with them. Great, great people. And we talked about our Secret Mysteries series and part one, The New Atlantis. And the New Atlantis is just another name for the New World Order and now the Great Reset. We've been talking about these things for about 20 years. In fact, we released Megiddo, the March to Armageddon, back in 2003. So this year, that's going to be the 20-year anniversary of Megiddo Part 1, the March to Armageddon. Uh, But yes, the the New World Order, globalism, the Great Reset, the New Atlantis, all of that is moving in the same direction. And it appears that they are going to make a big push in this coming year, in 2023. And because of the systems of, of travel and communication that have developed through the 20th century, now into the 21st century, there, there's almost nowhere that you can go to get away from what's happening. I think being in America, being in the United States, where we have our Constitution and we have our Second Amendment, we're probably in the best place in the world to resist globalism, to to put up a fight against what is happening. But they are uh, the the globalists. They are far from done with their agenda. All the countries now are to some extent being impacted by what happened with COVID-19 when they declared that there's no going back, they're moving forward. And now we're going to be talking today on the program what they're talking about more and more, which is the issue of 15-minute cities, 15-minute cities, cities where supposedly everything around you, everything that you need. They're going to develop communities where everything you need will be within a 15-minute radius of wherever you are. All right, but let's do this before we go any farther. I want to play some audio. This is actually an idea that was proposed two years ago, uh, at least according to this video, a video posted by something called C40 Cities. C40. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, Not that many views, only 39,000 views, but it was posted two years ago. Here it is. Listen. Before the recent lockdowns around the world, we led hectic lives with long commutes and not enough time to spend with our families and friends. Traffic polluted our air and smog blanketed our skylines. 
What if it could be different? What if we could create a new normal where we reclaim our time, our health and well-being, and our communities? This is the idea behind the 15-minute city, a growing movement to make our lives in cities more convenient, less stressful, and more sustainable. A 15-minute city is one where everything we need is close to home, where communities are safe and inclusive, where the air is clean. A 15-minute city is one where it's easy to get goods and services. Fresh groceries, healthcare, and other amenities are all just a short trip away. A 15-minute city is one where everyone has a place. A 15-minute city has affordable, accessible, and adaptable housing for households of all sizes and ages. A 15-minute city means that you can work close to home or work remotely more often. And we all play a role in our neighborhood. What if we don't go back to life as it was? What if we already have the power to change how we live? Together, we can reimagine and create the future we want. One that is cleaner, safer, healthier, and more inclusive. And gives us back valuable time to enjoy the little things. Oh, yes. Valuable time to enjoy the little things. Uh, and notice they've got the if, if you watch this presentation on YouTube, uh, it's it's when they talk about being more inclusive. See, it's not just about having a city where things are close, which is really not necessarily a bad idea of itself. The question is and, and the question that's being raised by people who think that there's a sinister side to all of this is are these little 15 minute cities going to become like internment camps? Are they going to become the concentration camps? Is this how they get us uh, corralled into these uh, uh, quarantined areas that they want us to be in? Are they going to, with the next wave of COVID demand that people stay within their little 15-minute city zone and never be allowed to go outside of it? Will this mean that national travel, like in the United States, if they could pull this off here, I think they're going to have a very difficult time doing it. But let's say they could pull it off here and develop a bunch of, a bunch of little 15-minute city zones. Will you then be confined to that zone as a citizen? We're not allowed to go anywhere else. Will that be the next way that they do lockdowns? You have to stay within your city zone. I mean, who knows? It doesn't sound that way when, when they're presenting the idea. Uh, but here's I, I want to play. Uh, here's another com uh, commercial that they posted online. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Just a, a very brief audio clip. Listen. Does this look familiar? Sitting in gridlock traffic, rushing from work to appointments, going to be late for dinner again. The road rage kicks in. This is the life we're used to. But what if life could look like this? An oasis of green parks, endless sidewalks, and empty roads. Impossible? Well, it's actually the concept behind the 15-minute city. 15-minute city or the 15-minute neighborhood is certainly something that's become very much, you can say, in vogue recently. Paris is working towards it, so is Barcelona and Portland, and now Vancouver also has a plan in place. Big new move number one was that we build a city uh, where, for all residents in the city, the 90% of your daily needs are within a walking distance. When I put the closest grocery store in my GPS, it's more than a 30-minute walk away. But in a 15-minute city, I could walk to the grocery store, post office, doctor's appointment, gym, hair salon, dentist, you name it, all within, you guessed it, just 15 minutes. All right, so that's it in a nutshell. That is the, the way that the concept is being promoted by the people who are engineering this concept of the 15-minute city. And on the face of it, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. I mean, uh, I, I lived in places like Manhattan uh, when I was much, much younger, of course, and, and where I was at in New York, you could walk pretty much any place you had to go. I didn't own a car when I lived in the city. Uh, right now, my eldest daughter is attending a university in a university town where the whole town really is kind of built around 
the university. And she's in a particular situation where she can walk to virtually get most anything she needs. She has a car, but she doesn't necessarily need to take it. So I've seen what this can look like. And yeah, it's it's actually very convenient where you've got everything that you would want or need within a very short distance from where you live. And you can go there very quickly. It's not a bad idea. The problem is that the same people who are promoting it are the same people that would be in support of the World Economic Forum, which are the same people who are telling us that they want to get us to a point where we own nothing, we pay rent, and supposedly will be perfectly happy. They're the same people that are behind COVID-19. And so could this be a ploy to come up with a, a future system of quarantine or concentration camps built around this idea of these 15-minute cities? Uh, that is the discussion. It's, you'll find it on the internet. It's gaining more and more attention now. Of course, they've been talking about this for a couple of years. But uh, those who are sounding the alarm that this could very well be a very sinister plot by the globalists, uh, they've begun to lift up a shout. This is going to be something that we'll be watching as we go into the year 2023. All right, right now, let's go to our commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk more right after this. Adullam Films presents a stunning new documentary, The True Christian History of America, exploring the Bible-based Christian origins of the early American view of freedom, tracing the principles of liberty back to England and the Great Reformation. For many years, our schools have taught that the founding of our Republic was from the Deists or the Enlightenment in France. But is that truly the case? Did the Enlightenment first declare no taxation without representation or trial by jury? Were they the champions of freedom of speech or of the press or the right to bear arms? And why did Samuel Adams declare that the reign of political Protestantism would commence just before signing the Declaration of Independence? Filmed on location in both the United States and Europe, the True Christian History of America is now available at adullamfilms.com. That's adullamfilms.com. Now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Adullam Films presents an exciting new documentary, Bridge to Babylon, part three in an award-winning series on the untold history of the Bible. Dr. Jack Moorman calls it a masterful presentation of what is the single most important issue facing Christians today, the defense of the Bible as the Word of God. Why was the Bible changed in 1881? Why have so many churches abandoned biblical inerrancy? And what direction are scholars taking the scriptures today? Learn the truth in Bridge to Babylon, the sequel to A Lamp in the Dark and Tares Among the Wheat. Bridge to Babylon is now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Noise of Thunder Radio. Okay, we are back. Praise the Lord, you guys. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we're talking about the new year, 2023, coming up. Uh, we are entering into it even now. And we've been talking about what's going on with this idea of the 15-minute city. And uh, now we've, I've, I've played you some audio from the promotions of the idea from people who are in favor of it, obviously the people who are engineering it. I'm about to play you some audio uh, to show you kind of the darker side of this. But, uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to do a shout out to our dear friend and brother, Jason, out in Colorado. Jason, who is a 
regular supporter of our ministry and has sent three new books uh, in support of the ongoing research and editing for our new film, American Jesuits, The History of Jesuitism in the United States, which I have to tell you, folks, this is going to be very powerful because we're going to show, we're not just going to show you the history of what's gone on for the past few hundred years. We are going to be showing you how this is impacting our government and our country right now. That the current administration in Washington, D.C. is a Jesuit administration. The Jesuits have taken over the White House. They are in control of the federal government of the United States. All right, but uh, here, there, these are three books uh, sent by our dear friend Jason and brother. Uh, one, a 19th century work, The Pope and the President, A Problem Solved. That's what the book is called by John Henry Newman. John Henry Newman, of course, who was the leading light in what was called the Oxford Movement, which was the attempt to try and bring the Church of England and really all of England itself back to Rome, back to the feet of the papacy. And this book by Newman is an attempt at sort of reaching out to the United States of America. And in the foreword, it says uh, a good deal of attention has been directed lately to the relationship that would exist between the Pope and the president if the people of the United States should elect a Catholic to be their chief executive. And it goes on from there. So interesting that uh, we are reviewing this book at a time when, yes, we have a Catholic. Really, John F. Kennedy was, I think, an American Catholic Joe Biden is very much a globalist. He's very much a Jesuit. There's no question about it. I mean, he was sworn in by two Jesuit priests. Well, one of them did the inaugural prayer. The other one did an inaugural mass. That's how, that's the, the proper uh, ordering of it. But there were, there were two Jesuit priests involved. I mean, Biden goes to a Jesuit church in Washington, D.C., I think Joe Biden is a Jesuit the same way that King James II was a Jesuit. Uh, James II, and this is something that we learned recently from um, Sean Wilcock from his book on the Jesuits, and he's reviewing a 19th century work where it was revealed that James II, who was driven out of the country by the Glorious Revolution, uh, that he himself was not just Catholic, but he was a Jesuit. Okay, so then the second book that we have from Jason is uh, called The Jesuits and the Thirty Years' War by Robert Byerly, B-I-R-E-L-E-Y. The Jesuits and the, and the Thirty Years' War. I'm really looking forward to this book because the Thirty Years' War, let's remember this is when the Jesuits and their Catholic League tried to forcibly stamp out Protestantism from Europe. And with it, of course, would be the preaching of the gospel and the widespread publication of the Bible, if they could have accomplished it. But they lost the Thirty Years' War. And why is this so important today? Because remember, World War I and World War II were called by Churchill and Charles de Gaulle the Second Thirty Years' War. That was World War I and World War II, the Second Thirty Years' War. It's a very common saying if you look it up. And that becomes very important when we have the Pope, Pope Francis, telling us that this war in the Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia is not just between Ukraine and Russia. They're telling us that this is World War III. The, the next chapter, if you will, in the Thirty Years' War. That's the way I interpret it. Also, we should mention that uh, Pope Benedict passed away uh, here recently. He died inside the Vatican, apparently. Uh, they've, they've also got a, uh, 
a new film, I think, on Netflix or one of the other internet movie channels where it's about the two popes. It's about Benedict and Francis. And uh, I haven't seen the film. I saw a preview of it, and I thought it was it was interesting. Uh, but why they they forced Benedict to stand down, that's an interesting question we may cover on another show in the future. Okay, I want to mention very quickly this third book from our friend Jason, The Popes and World Government. The Popes and World Government. Now, the cover of this, and the book is by Emile Gary, G-U-E-R-R-Y, Archbishop of Cambrai, The Popes and World Government. And uh, from the cover design, which Jason had emailed me a copy of, on the cover design, it, it shows the, the, uh, the triple crown, the tiara, the triple tiara of the Pope with the symbol of the United Nations right alongside of it. So that's the whole idea. It's, I mean, the book was written a number of years ago. Let me see if I can look up the date here. Uh, but it had to do, has to do with, yeah, 1963. And it has the imprimatur, which is the official seal of approval of the Archbishop of Baltimore, October 22nd, 1963. So that's when the book was published. And so this is a book written in the 20th century about the popes, and world government, and, of course, involving the United Nations and this whole globalist movement that we are watching reaching a, a, a very important climactic point in our lifetime. Very interesting. We live in a fascinating time, and we've got to be... Busy, diligent workmen for the Lord, seeking God's will in our lives and in our walk of faith and in whatever ministry work the Lord has called us to do, uh, to make sure that we are obeying Him at such a time as this, because the only hope for America, folks, is by the power of God, by the Word of God, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only hope for our country. There is no hope apart from God himself. All of the avenues that, that anyone might pursue through natural political means, voting, uh, trying to get laws passed, trying to file a lawsuit, going through the courts, the system of due process that has been set up in our country through the Constitution and the rule of law, all of that is breaking down and has really been cast aside. Now it is it is almost universally agreed among conservatives that the elections are rigged. That that there we don't have an honest election anymore. You can't vote your way out of this. We cannot vote our way into a solution. Because every everything is compromised, everything is broken down. I mean, we're not, we're not living in a concentration camp yet, but there's no question that the conspirators have seized control of the federal government. They have control of the vast majority of mainstream media, 90% of it or more. They're controlling the courts. They're controlling most of the education system, not all of it. I mean, there are still areas of resistance, there's no doubt. Areas where people are saying no and they're pushing back, etc. We can't deny that. But it's never been this bad in our country, in my lifetime. The kind of stuff that is happening now openly, if you'd have talked about this 10, 15 years ago, you would have just been dismissed as a conspiracy theorist because people were not able to see it as plainly as it is today happening right before our very eyes. Okay. So this brings us back to this whole idea of what's going on with COVID-19, the coronavirus. Let's remember something. You had right before COVID broke out in 2020, 
just at the end of 2019, they had Event 201. We talked about this on the program. Event 201, which was like a dress rehearsal for coronavirus. And then, you know, where they had all these leaders come in and World Health Organization is involved. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is involved uh, at Johns Hopkins University, et cetera. And then all of these uh, leaders are there role playing, doing like fake news media that they admit is staged. Right. But it's like a dress rehearsal for the coronavirus. So they did that back in 2019. Now they did they did another dress rehearsal that they called catastrophic contagion. And that was back in October. Let me. I'm not sure if I, I, I had thought it was. Well, let me give you the let me give you the exact dates here. I'm going to go. This is from Event 201, which you can look up online. If you type in Event 201, you'll see it mentions the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, etc. A high level pandemic exercise on October 18th, 2019 in New York, New York. OK, so that was event 201, October 18th, 2019. Now you type in catastrophic contagion. And it says, uh, quote, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with who World Health Organization and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation conducted catastrophic contagion, a pandemic tabletop exercise at the Grand Challenges annual meeting in Brussels, Belgium, on October 23rd, 2022. Okay. And they had leaders from different or, or health ministers and senior public health officials from all these different countries. And it says, uh, quote, the exercise simulated a series of WHO World Health Organization emergency and health advisory board meetings addressing a fictional pandemic set in the near future. That is literally from their website. So this is what they did before, back in 2019, and then several months later, they began announcing that there's a pandemic, the coronavirus, and everything's turned upside down. So now here, just back in October... They've done the same thing. Another dress rehearsal. Is this foreshadowing a new stage, a new push for a, a the next level of whatever they're going to do with COVID-19 or coronavirus or a pandemic? Are they going to announce a new pandemic? This is what we have to watch for. As we move into the new year, into 2023, what are they planning? And will it be worse than what happened before? Will it be a more moderate version of what happened before? Part of me thinks it could go either way. It could go either. They might say, hey, let's not push the envelope too far because uh, then people might begin resisting like what's going on in China where they're just you know the the people of China are are up in arms because they've tried to keep them in perpetual lockdown but at the same time you've got Klaus Schwab saying that China is the model for the rest of the world so are they going to try and tighten the noose or and lock down you know uh, their programs even more severely in this coming new year. We certainly hope that's not going to be the case. But we think that if they try to do that here in the United States, it's going to be very, very difficult, especially when you've had the coronavirus leaders, people like uh, Dr. Burks coming out and openly admitting that they knew that this vaccine was not going to prevent the spread of the virus. They, they knew they're, they're admitting they knew it. Well, then why did they tell everybody that you got to go get your vaccine? And how come all of these different people that were vaccinated and, and boosted multiple times? How is it that they were diagnosed with covid later on anyway? And many of them ended up dying. 
In fact, here, let's, let's listen here to some audio. This is uh, Dr. Uh, Deborah Burks being interviewed. Dr. Deborah Burks, remember, she is a Jesuit. And this, in my opinion, is a very, very Jesuitical form of dialogue she's engaging in here on Fox News with Neil Cavuto. Listen to what she said. Here it is. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines. 50% of the people who died from the Omicron surge were older, vaccinated. So that's why I'm saying even if you're vaccinated and boosted, if you're unvaccinated right now, the key is testing and Paxlovid. Okay, so there you heard it from Dr. Deborah Burks herself. Uh, she says, oh, we overplayed the vaccine. Remember that when, when you hear them pushing the vaccine, when, when you hear them pushing the vaccine, I mean, go on, go online. This, you can find this on YouTube. If you have family members that think they need to rush down and get vaccinated because that's going to prevent something, you should show them this video clip that the people who were pushing the vaccines have admitted that they knew it wasn't really going to prevent infection. And that's what she says. So now she's saying the thing to do is testing and Paxlovid. If you've not yet heard of Paxlovid, they are pushing it. It is a newly released drug. I first heard about it when my sisters contacted me about my father, who, as many of you know, passed away a short time ago in the month of December here at the end of 2022. My dad, who was, by all accounts, a healthy 85-year-old man, uh, started running a fever. He, was, he did test positive for COVID. His doctor then prescribed this Paxlovid medication. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I had never heard of it before. My sisters told me about it. And what my sister told me is that he took his first dose of this Paxlovid and then several hours later, that is when he had what we think was a stroke. But he, he basically became incapacitated several hours later to where he could not get up and walk. Uh, he lost control of his bodily functions, had to go to the hospital and from that point, never recovered, was in decline, and then passed away several days later. But he had taken the first dose of this Paxlovid medication. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I did, however, research this Paxlovid. If you go and read up on it, it appears to be the equivalent of remdesivir, but in a pill form, a modified version of remdesivir. And I would encourage you, if, if you or anybody you know is prescribed Paxlovid, I would encourage you to go online and do the research on this. It's a new drug. So exactly what sort of an impact it has, uh, I mean, they don't know yet. They really don't know. But I have to tell you, when I read up on it, I was very disturbed because it does appear to be a, a version of remdesivir based on its description, but in a pill form, because remdesivir is in a liquid form, they give it to you in the hospital. And that's the one that Dr. Brian Artis and so many others warned about, not to take remdesivir. Well, I'd never heard of Paxlovid before. And then when I read up on it, I became very suspicious about what happened with my dad. Now, of course, I don't know. And because nobody knows. So I want to be very, very careful about what I'm saying because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. But I would that what I say to people is look into it, investigate it. And I think as we as we move into 2023, we should pay attention to this Paxlovid. It's another Pfizer drug. Pfizer created this thing, just like they came up with a vaccine. And so they're calling it the wonder drug. This is what's going to help, you know, save everybody from COVID-19, etc. So they're really pushing and promoting this Paxlovid. They really are. 
it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Just like with the vaccine, they rolled out the vaccine. Now there's all these stories of people with blood clots. There's stories of people with myocarditis. There's sudden death syndrome, people just dropping over and dying suddenly. It's all kinds of problems from the vaccine. Will there be similar problems from this Paxlovid? We will have to wait and see. But it is certainly something to be watchful about in this new year. Okay, so we talked about the 15-minute cities, and I told you I wanted to show you kind of the other side, the more the, the, the more Orwellian, sinister side of where these 15-minute cities may very well end up. Uh, and this is a video that was published just a few weeks ago by Richard Vobes, V-O-B-E-S. You can find him on YouTube. And the title of the video is The Insidious Restriction of Movement Trial in Oxford. Okay, let's listen to what he says, but he's describing how there is this restriction of movement. And here's what it says. Let me just read the sub description here. It says, quote, Oxford County Council have planned a journey restriction trial for 2024 as part of the 15 minutes scheme or 15 minute cities scheme. I am worried this might have far reaching effects if we are not careful. Okay, so let me play you some of this video audio so you can hear what this is about. Listen. I notice a lot of people have been talking about this trial that's happening in Oxford, um, in which I understand that in 2024, so what are we talking about, just over a year's time, a trial in which the city of Oxford is going to be divided up into six zones and people will have their car journeys limited to a hundred, what would you call it, incursions into other zones in a year. So in other words, if you wanted to go from one side of Oxford to the other side of Oxford in your car, you could only do that a hundred times in a year. And I believe the rationale for this is to save the planet. It's to reduce the carbon footprint of Oxford. Now, it's rather worrying, isn't it? Because this is a trial, which if it's successful, uh, which whether it is successful or not successful, I just get the impression that it will be deemed to be successful regardless, so that it can be rolled out in all the cities and potentially, I suppose, towns. Some towns would be too small uh, to say that you couldn't go from one area to another, but you just never know. So I think that this, this whole idea, the fact that somebody would dream up this idea as a means to reduce the amount of journeys in a city is somewhat insidious and, and quite, well, almost, would I go so far to say evil? Would he go so far as to say evil? Well, I think there's a lot of people, not I think, I know there are people already who are saying, yes, this is insidious. This is an evil, diabolical plan that the globalists are putting together and they're already uh, planning and developing uh, these 15-minute uh, cities, and probably it's something that they're going to want to duplicate possibly all over the world. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But certainly as we are moving through 2023, this will most likely be a developing story. It's not something they can do overnight. It's something that they're going to do over time. Uh and I think it's an area where we as Americans and as Christians, as Christians and as Americans, we have to remember something. According to our law, our declaration, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our declaration declares that liberty is an unalienable right. 
that it is a a right that comes to us from our creator. It's not a man-made right. It's not something that the government grants to us. The government doesn't grant us liberty. Liberty is a right and a blessing that we have from God. And it is called unalienable. Now, in the Bible, one of the things we talk about in our film, The True Christian History of America, is the story of Abraham, where Abraham's nephew, Lot, was kidnapped by four kings. Four kings now. These are the heads of government. And they kidnapped Lot with a number of other people, and they carried him away with uh, these others that they took. And Abraham armed his young men, went after these kings, fought them, slaughtered them, put them to death for what they did, and rescued his nephew, Lot. Now, we find that God's law, under the law of Moses, says that if you kidnap somebody and enslave them, you are to be put to death. That is a capital crime. And governments are not exempt Governments do not get a pass from God. That's part of the lesson of the story of Abraham. It's also part of the lesson in the book of Jeremiah, where the Jews had, they had indentured servants, but they could only keep them for seven years. They let them go free, but then they caused them to be enslaved again. And God punished them for that. So there's no pass for the powers of government to engage in the enslaving of free people. They simply don't have the right under God to do it. We have to remember that as we're watching these kind of plans unfold, where they're looking to find ways to destroy or to violate or to infringe upon fundamental liberty of we the people. At least here in America, our Constitution is significantly different than the constitutions of other countries. There are things that we have in common, but we've got to remember these details of our own American law and use them to push back as they try to move forward with this globalist agenda. I mean, it's it's draconian. It is everything that we've been warned about through the 20th century concerning globalism and the new world order. All right, so we are winding down here on the show. There are a few more issues that I wanted to bring up, things that we are going to be watching through 2023. Um, Many of you are aware by now that during New Year's Eve in Times Square, there was a terror attack now that has been reported. Uh, An Islamic extremist with a machete attacked a number of police officers near Times Square on New Year's Eve. And all of the evidence so far is that he was a jihadi. They're calling him the Times Square Jihadi. His name is Trevor Bickford, 19 years old, of Wells, Maine. Now, the interesting thing is, is that he is not an import from a foreign country. He is an American who converted to Islam recently, He has a brother who's in the U.S. Army. Uh, Here is the uh, Daily Mail headline on this. It says, quote, Times Square Jihadi 19 was arrested with chilling manifesto, told soldier brother, quote, you joined ranks of my enemy, end quote, ordered family to convert to Islam to avoid, quote, hellfire, and apologize to mother for not having been a good enough son, okay? And it goes on from there. So this is an American who converted to Islam. Is this a foreshadowing of additional events that are going to happen with Islamic radicalism and terrorism in the United States? Is that what's going to happen? You know, there's an article on frontpagemag.com And the headline says, will Islam convert the West? And then it says the trans craze suggests that we are highly vulnerable. Now, I find that very interesting that they're they're talking about Islam converting Western civilization. Then they make reference to this transgender craze that's going on. Uh, 
which has gotten into the schools now. They're going after underage kids. All of this is completely illegal. And we've just started to get comments from people like Governor Ron DeSantis that is suggesting that maybe some of these people should be arrested and be prosecuted for going after underage kids uh, in, in what can only be called child abuse. And this is something, this, this whole LGBT movement and attacking parental rights is moving forward slowly but steadily. There is the case in Texas of the father who is fighting to protect his underage son. I mean, his son is like seven years old, eight years old. Right around there, he's, he's a young child. And uh, this is a headline from the Geller Report. It says, uh, Texas Supreme Court rules against father seeking to prevent chemical castration of his son. Apparently, the father and the mother are divorced. The mother is a fanatic, and uh, she is the one who began conditioning her child into thinking that he was a girl. And so she's been pushing for this. The, the two of them are obviously separated. But uh, I'll just read part of the part of the article here. Well, this is from the post-millennial. Post, posted on Pamela Geller's website. But anyway, the father appears to be writing. He says, quote, the Supreme Court of Texas denied my mandamus effectively terminating my parental rights. My children are now subject to being chemically castrated in California. Texas is an empire of child abuse led by Texas judges, he said. Jeffrey Younger, that's his name, the father's name, has lost his court case to prevent his ex-wife from taking their son to California, where he could be medically transitioned. Younger has been trying to stop this from happening for years and has now reached the end of the line. He is prevented by the courts of Texas from protecting his boys from medical mutilation at the hands of their mother, who is a pediatrician. This is what's very disturbing is the fact that the, the mother is a pediatrician. This kind of mentality is getting, well, has gotten into the medical community and will be advancing more and more. If all of our pediatricians, and certainly they're not all there now, but if all the pediatricians in the next generation are conditioned and indoctrinated and brainwashed with transgender ideology, that's how they want to make this the new normal. They, they are envisioning a nightmarish Sodom and Gomorrah type environment. And, and this is, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I, back when we made Kinsey syndrome, I don't know anybody who foresaw the transgender issue. I mean, this is, this is like way beyond what a lot of people thought would happen. People foresaw that the LGBT activists were going after the schools and after the kids and they wanted to legalize pedophilia. This seems to be sort of a roundabout way of doing that. They're engaging in sort of a, a roundabout way of, of going after the children by arguing these transgender ideas and saying that they've got to be recognized in kids from a very early age or else you're endangering the child. That's what they're, they're using the same Kinsey philosophy. Kinsey argued that the problem with the children and pedophiles is not the pedophile, but the parents. It's because the parents interfere. That was Kinsey's whole argument. That when the, when the parents tell the child that this behavior is wrong, it's the parents who are doing all the harm to the child. That's Kinsey's philosophy. That's why Kinsey's data is so important. And significant because Kinsey provided the so-called scientific credibility for all of, of what had always been seen as sexual perversion prior to Kinsey. What had been seen as a depraved and immoral behavior, unacceptable and generally unlawful in many cases. But all of that changed as a result of the Kinsey reports of the 1940s and 50s. 
and it turned the country and much of the world upside down and not in a good way. But that's what began all of this insanity that we're seeing happen right now. And it's why the issue is so significant. And people need to understand the mentality and to understand that this mentality has gotten into the schools. It's been in the education system. It's been at not only the Kinsey Institute, uh, it's been at the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco in Northern California. It's been at Johns Hopkins University. It's been at a number of other institutions where they train and educate PhDs in the field of what they call sexology. And this has been going on for 40, 50 years and more at this point. And they have normalized for decades the idea that pedophilia is a sexual orientation just like homosexuality. That, that, was, that was true 20, 30 years ago. That they were believing that and they were teaching that. There are all these uh, very disturbing stories that came out of some of these uh, institutions where they, they would get all these uh, uh, intellectual PhDs together and they would watch uh, films of disturbing content and and just talk very matter-of-factly about it. Dr. Reisman used to talk to me about that when I, because I interviewed her over a period of several years. And she told me a lot of stories off camera just in terms of trying to understand exactly what's going on. And it's this mentality. It's this worldview. That's what's so damaging. And that's what's got to be driven out of the schools. And it's got to be driven out of the courts. It's got to be driven out of the system. If there's any hope of, of rescuing the next generation from the nightmare of a Sodom and Gomorrah type philosophy of completely taking hold in our system. But I'm reminded of, of what we read about in Genesis about how when the Sodomites surrounded the house of Lot in Genesis, it says that all the people old and young came out to take part. And Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe Schimmel and I, we, we would talk about that. Uh, Genesis 19 and verse 4, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. So you see, everybody, young and old, was involved in this attempt at violating the house of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Joe and I used to talk about that. And is that what we're seeing? I mean, one of the titles, one of the working titles that we had for the Kinsey syndrome was Sodom Rising. That was one of the kind of what we thought maybe we'll call it that we've settled on the Kinsey syndrome later on. But uh, but the whole idea of a return to the Sodom and Gomorrah mentality and worldview. And that's what this is. It is, it is utter and complete depravity. And we are warned about this in the scripture over and over and over again. All right, so we have uh, Islam, and then we have the LGBT and the, and the transgender movement. Now, why are they related? Well, I think Front Page Mag makes a very interesting argument. Uh, where they ask the question, will Islam convert the West? The trans craze suggests that we are highly vulnerable. The, the, transgenderism completely dismantles the foundations of American law and the foundations of Christianity. The idea that all men are created in the beginning, God created them male and female. It completely dismantles that. And then all the laws, the rights, everything that goes with it. And it demands, because once they get into the courts and into American law, they're demanding that you have to go around saying things that are false. You have to declare that a man in a dress is a woman or that a woman wearing man's clothing is a man, etc. It weakens the whole country because you have... And especially because they're attacking the institution of marriage. They, they want marriage done away with. They've been on this for years. 
They, they want to destroy the whole concept of, of marriage and family so that our country and, and they would hope the whole world would become a bunch of fornicators and sodomites and, and pedophiles. And, and, and that would just nobody would be uh, a God fearing person. Nobody would be involved in a marriage ordained by God, according to his law and his commands. That's their ambition. And because of that, and once we realize that American law is based on the authority of our creator, what they're doing, folks, is treason in this country. The fact that they're going through the courts and the government trying to do this, it amounts to treason because they're looking to overthrow God's authority. God's authority is the foundation of our Constitution. Without God's authority, there are no rights. In our country, rights come from God based on God's law, the laws of nature and of nature's God. That is the building block or the building blocks of argumentation for where rights come from. And they're saying they want to overturn all of it. It amounts to treason. Now, how would that uh, pertain to Islam? Uh, I think what Front Page Mag is getting at is that it weakens. There, you know, there's the old saying, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. It, it removes the ideological defense system that we've always had in this country, which is the Bible. God's law is the law. And God's word is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. That sword, when used in combat, God's law and God's word will strike down everything in its path. Let God be true and every man a liar. Our ancestors believed that. When they believed that, they were undefeated by their enemies. As our country has given up that conviction, has abandoned it, we have become weaker and weaker and more vulnerable. All right, so this front page mag article says, Kim Gada's book, Black Wave, describes the revolutionary fervor which swept across much of the Muslim world in the wake of the Iranian revolution of 1979. The movement was marked by the sudden reappearance of a wave of black hijabs abayas and burqas in countries in which the wearing of such symbols of submission had all but disappeared. During this period, millions of Muslims converted, but they didn't convert away from Islam. Rather, they converted from a passive and conventional form of Islam to a more militant and expansionist form. Having re-Islamized much of the Muslim world, Islamists have in recent years set their sights on the conversion of the West. Now, that's not a, you know, that's not a big surprise. Not a big surprise. We've, we've been reporting on this for many years, and this goes back decades as well. But it's why I've come to believe if you, if you study this Islamic issue, this goes back to before World War II. And it's, it's almost as if the globalists planned to weaken Western civilization by effeminizing the men in the West, while at the same time uh, stirring up the, the traditional jihadi, tough guy mentality of the Muslims in the East, and then telling the Muslims, hey, go invade the West and take it over, because look, look at how immoral and evil and, and wicked the uh, Christian countries have become, and all of their men are putting on dresses now. You can easily go over there and take over. I mean, wh when you look at, at the two movements, the mass importation of Muslims and the adoption of homosexuality as a new right, they begin at about the same time, just after World War II. Both of them. So could an argument be made that this whole thing was planned? weaken the Western male while empowering and strengthening the Islamic jihadi? Is, is that what has happened? I mean, the Muslims who are coming over, they are coming over with the expectation 
that they're coming into America and Canada and England and all these Western countries to take over. That's why they're coming in. I told you that story some time ago about the, the guy up in Canada who was mowing his lawn. He saw a little boy, like a nine, 10 year old little boy standing behind him. He was a Muslim boy. And he walked over and the little boy said to him, my father says, one day we will rule you. What's the father saying to that little Muslim kid? These are all things that we have to keep an eye on in 2023. Now, I'm not a fatalist. I don't believe that we should abandon the heritage of our forefathers. I believe what David said to Solomon right before, you know, while David, King David was on his deathbed, he said, my son Solomon, seek for and keep the commandments of the Lord your God that you may dwell in this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. And I believe that can apply to us in this land, in America, in the United States. If we as a people seek for and keep the commandments of God, teach them to our children, and find a way to turn our country uh, toward repentance, toward God, if the Lord permits. Because true, true repentance comes from God. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us to pray so that peradventure the Lord may grant repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. That's what we should pray for, that our country would be compelled to repent. And is it possible that America can be reclaimed to our Bible-based Christian heritage? However imperfect that heritage may be, it's certainly much better than Islamic Sharia or socialism. Is that possible? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. The, those are all questions that we're going to see unfold even further in 2023. All right, brethren, that is going to do it for us today. That is our show. We'll stop it there, but we will be back next time as the Lord leads us. Until then, God bless you guys. I'm Chris Pinto, and you've been listening to Noise of Thunder Radio. Noise of Thunder Radio.